See, the problem with progressivism, the problem with leftism, I call it an unbridled propulsion with mm. lousy avionics and no landing pad in sight. These movements are just flying all over the place with great thrust, but they have no direction. They, they, ha they have no benefit and they're not yielding life. I came that mm. you might have life and life abundant. And these movements are doing the opposite. They are coming to steal, kill and destroy. How did the uh, uh, the blog start out? How did that come about? I have never been a writer. I turned 60 this year, Ken. All right. And I barely was a good journaler. <laughs> I didn't really keep much of a journal. I know Christians are supposed to, and we're always, we go on retreats and they give you the little, the little notebook. And man, I just never filled out a single one of them. But Leading up to, you know, I've got two boys now, they're 24 and 22. And for whatever reason, God sovereignly and prophetically had me begin looking at culture a little bit closer than I, I ever really had. I, I've had a lot of hobbies, Ken. I've done crazy things. I mountaineering, um, climb Mount McKinley in, in Alaska. And I was a marathoner. Iron Man. I've done Iron Man Hawaii twice. I've done five Iron Mans. Church planter, um, worship leader. I, I've done so many. I was a stand-up comic for seven years. Mm -hmm. I was a stand. I opened for Christian concerts. I wanted to get on the Christian speakers tour, and all of these hobbies have kind of come and go with great uh, passion and you know mm -hmm. great feelings of accomplishment. Writing was never one of them, but I began, and again, I think the Lord put me on this journey to prepare for my boys. So this would have been before George Floyd, um, before the George Floyd death and ensuing uh, culture wars after that. I'd begun listening to a lot of podcasts. I'd never been a podcast listener or watcher, um, shows, channels like yours. I began watching more Christian content. I began watching cultural content. I began watching social justice content and progressive Christianity. And I, I found myself not, I wasn't looking for answers. I wanted to understand why culture seemed to be confused and asking questions that I didn't really quite understand why there was such confusion particularly within the church. And so by the time we get to George Floyd, my older boy, um, really, you know, I, I think a lot of the social justice stuff, the hook is an empathetic heart. I think down at the base of a lot of the, the, the warrioring that happens for these different causes at the root of it, there's something good and it's empathy, it's compassion. I don't want to see the marginalized um, yeah. suffer. I don't want to see the poor endure this immense poverty, or I don't want to see people discriminated against. I think the answers end up becoming dreadfully wrong when it's not kingdom. Mm -hmm. They're asking good questions. So I began on this journey 
And my son was now beginning to look at social justice uh, avenues. And I even went to a couple protests with him that were popping up during that day. And I found that where a lot of parents maybe just argue and fight with their 20-year-olds when they start asking these types of questions, I found a deep calm in me because I, the Lord had already kind of prepared me and fed me and helped me see things from a different angle. Things that you will not understand if you only go to church on Sundays, and that's the extent of your Christian diet. You have to dine on the full banquet table, the full counsel of God. And today, a lot of that are channels like yours, brother. It's You have to go out and get different perspective and content. And so as I'm walking with my son through some of this, uh, we had a really unfortunate event happen at church. Now, I, I began seeing the church being confused. What do we do about LGBTQ yeah. and inclusivity and diversity? And, and what do we do during Pride Month? And now Black Lives Matter has really made a name. Do we put the placard out front? Do we begin to preach apologetics for being white? And, and all of those things were starting to happen. And in one of the prayer rooms that I lead worship in, uh, we had an unfortunate situation where I call it the political spirit. I really am answering your question on the blog because this was the genesis of it. I believe scripture tells us that, that Jesus taught on three types of leaven. So he taught on the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod, and then, of course, you have the leaven of the kingdom, right? So the leaven of the Pharisees was the religious spirit. And in the 70s and 80s, when I was a, a young Christian, I felt that religious spirit very strong in the church. Mm. A lot of legalism, fundamentalism, behavior modification, um, a lot of works-based preaching, uh, the religious spirit, we'll call it. But the leaven of Herod is the political spirit. And I think that is the detriment. I think that is the agent that the kingdom of darkness is most confusing the church with today. It's the political spirit. It's the leaven of Herod. And Jesus said, watch out, beware. So when you start looking at all the social justice causes, you begin to see these movements are, they're political in nature. It's a political spirit. And the church has been confused. How do we love people? How are we empathetic and compassionate and welcoming? And yet making a stand for what the kingdom is like. And in this particular meeting, the political spirit came in full bore. It didn't seep in under the door. We opened the door wide and it was brought in and there was a huge ceremony apologizing for whiteness. Um, there were crocodile tears making these apologies in the room. There was quite a few, 75 people in the room and pop collective apologies were made on behalf of all the white people to the to the black brothers and sisters who were there. Look, I grew up in a very integrated town. I, it, I've never had to really think twice about it. I was in the poor section of town quite often. I had a lot of friends there. I had a basketball hoop at my house. 
All my friends came to, to my house. I got mugged. I got beat up. We got in fights. I had my bike stolen. And we were all friends. It was never because I was white and they were black. We were kids. Never once did we use the racist word. That was just how we, we grew up. And and I, I know many shudder when you, when you start saying, well, I have black friends. Well, I grew up in a very diverse environment. So when I saw the church confused about this, I wept. And I'm not a crier. I drove home from that mm -hmm. meeting. And I said, the political spirit is in the church. And that's when I started writing. Wow. I'd begun taking notes on the different podcasts and things I was preparing. Little did I know to speak with my sons. But now I saw it in the church. And Ken, I could not contain myself. I began, I, I've never, like I said, never been a writer. I wasn't an English major. And stuff was coming out of me, which I can only say is prophetic. Now, I stand by and believe everything I wrote. Did I lose some people early on because I was so uh, full of zeal? I did. I definitely hurt friends and uh, hurt family members. But at least I was provoking people to think. Yeah. And what I began to do was I took on every controversial topic I could think of, the topics I never heard on abortion, infidelity, racism, um, transgenderism, LGBTQ, go down the list, all of these things, white supremacy, systemic racism, and not being an expert on any of them, I was thrust into a world of research and reading and learning and understanding and wrestling and praying and doing my best to uh, bring the kingdom into all of these things and showing how the kingdom is what informs us about everything. The, the, the leaven of the kingdom is meant to, to get through the whole dough. It's meant to get through the whole culture and society. I mean, I believe resurrection inaugurated the reconciliation of all things, the king, the leaven of the kingdom is meant to spread and renew and restore and redeem. And so in my little way, it's a very long answer to a short question, but the 90 or so pieces that I have written, that was the initial genesis and continues to be a big uh, framing for why and how I write. I do not try to write for the Christian audience, I try to avoid Christianese and using scriptural metaphor that Christians would, of course, understand. I use scripture and I speak the kingdom, but I am very aware of every walk of life that is potentially reading. And that includes all of my friends who may not agree with it. It includes all of my friends who are not Christians. I have a lot of them. And I try my best to honor the, it, here, here's what I try to do. I try my best to honor and love the individual. This took me years to figure out. I have gay friends that I love deeply. I will stand with them through everything, thick and thin. I have every walk of life. And on an individual basis, I don't think one of them can say 
that I've discriminated against them. And if I have, I've repented and they know I have and I've done it to their face. But we can stand firmly against the movements that are trying to eradicate the kingdom from our culture and bring in a paganism and a cultural genocide, as I you mentioned earlier in my most recent piece. I try my best to highlight the movements, the systems. What are the globalists really planning for not just America, but for the world? What are the transhumanists planning for mankind? What is the great culling? What might the introduction of a virus like COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, and the following vaccines, and now just the bizarre amount of covering up and lying in the face of data that speaks for itself. What do we say about that? It has nothing to do with my vaccinated or unvaccinated friends. I try to write about the systems, and many of them today are devoid of the kingdom of God. And the church is standing confused. They don't know how to navigate both. And so Sunday mornings, we get a good biblical message. And in our small groups, we break down the book of Galatians. And nobody wants to talk about these hard issues. That's what Wine Patch is intending to do. Uh, you do it with such an anointing, too, that God is... God has certainly gifted gifted you and to to do that, and you know it's something that needs to be spoken to. You know we can't just bury our heads in the sand. Uh, these particular movements they're not going anywhere, and there's more that pop up. You know you think you've got this, and then something else. But you know we have to learn how to speak the truth and love to these people, and direct them toward you know kingdom thought. The word of God, um, you know, I have, have friends the same way, you know, uh, and is they know I care about them, and I'm not, you know, I disagree with their lifestyle, but uh, you know, I think they could count on me if push came to shove to, you know, help them out in a situation. But yeah, it's uh, when you see the church folding, is what we see a lot of where they're just. You know, they're bending the knee to that particular agenda. You know, they're following where you see uh, they have banners outside of the uh, church, you know, whether it be Pride Month or BLM banners. Uh, I've seen that frequently. And, you know, um, it's not scriptural. Yeah. So, uh, and now we see it maybe. You know, I, I, I had proposed in one of my earlier pieces that, you know, critical race theory was a big topic for quite a while. Yeah. And, you know, the schools were saying it's not we're not teaching that here. And everybody was telling us, oh, that's just a you know, law school type of track that you can study and learn. No, critical race theory had its roots in Marxism. It, had, it finds its roots in the Frankfurt School. It comes right out of Nazi Germany. You can track all of this stuff back to see how this critical race theory was really intended to collectivize and divide. 
Mm. I proposed in one of my pieces, I said, but I don't think they're going to stop here. I think this is the conditioner for a, a lesser known movement called queer theory. And queer theory is something people can look up and read about. But as, as race is to critical race theory, queer is to queer theory. And it's, it, it's much more, Ken, than sexual preference. And so we can talk all about LGBTQIA, 2S+, and, and we can talk about transgenderism and, and, and all these things. But queer theory has much more. See, the problem with progressivism, the problem with leftism, I call it an unbridled propulsion with mm -hmm. lousy avionics and no landing pad in sight. These movements are just flying all over the place with great thrust, but they have no direction. They, they, they have no benefit and they're not yielding life. I came that mm. you might have life and life abundant. And these movements are doing the opposite. They are coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah. And what queer theory is at its root it's not just sexual preference. It is the queering of everything so that there is no more normal. As soon as you say, well, that's not normal. You know, a normal family is a man and a woman raising their children. They're like, oh, no. Oh, no. That's that is no longer. It, it, it's a queering. It's a twisting. It's a, it's a perverting of not just sex. It's everything. Yeah. They, why are we having, I don't know how much time you spend on Twitter, but the two plus two equals five has yeah. been a legitimate movement. And you've now got, you've got mathematic institutes and associations explaining and defending why two plus two can be five, why a man can be pregnant. What? Yeah. what? That's queer theory. All right. It goes beyond accepting your friend who has alternate alternative personal preferences i think we've kind of dealt with that long ago i i believe our friends of those constraints expressions have gotten just about every right in terms of legal standing and discrimination and 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 marriage they've kind of gotten it all but notice it has only caused this transgenderism, and I'll call it queer theory, it's 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 voracious. It's never satisfied. Leftism yeah. is never satisfied. You see, the Christian story, we know how it ends when the new earth comes down, the new Jerusalem, and behold, God's dwelling place is with his people. That's the, the hope that we have. It's not just avoiding hell. The end of the story is the greatest redemption and reconciliation imaginable in all of history. Leftism. What is the end of your chaos? What's the end of your story? It's just a steaming heap of a demolition pile, of a de decomposing pile. Mm -hmm. And so queer theory, that when people begin to understand um, why are these books in elementary and junior high and high school libraries, pornographic books. Why are teachers, you know, encouraging children not only to change their gender, 
and to select their pronouns. But now it's becoming illegal for parents to find out. That's beyond sexual preference or even sexual uh, expression. You are now literally destroying the family. And so when you say, well, wait, that's not normal. Parents are the ones who raise their children. Oh, no, no, no. No, the teachers have the degrees. The government knows what's best. And that is a queering, Ken. I, I, I hope I'm explaining this well. It is a, so CRT was a conditioner. It did a lot of damage, but that was only the conditioner because now we see, you know, when's the last time you've heard a big diatribe on systemic racism? Yeah. Hands has taken over the, the megaphone. And again, the avionics, the propulsion, it's flying all over the place. You can't even identify, forget about what's a woman. You can't even identify what a transgender person is anymore. Yeah. You can't do it. Uh, so these are the these are the, the big topics that I try to think and pray deeply about. And then I try to engage as best I can. Yeah, and that's uh, a lot of that stuff just leaves me speechless. Um, uh, to try to make sense out of some of it, 